to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Oh, this is great. Getting, now getting used to live, getting used to some people able to say hello. Okay. Hi, everyone. How are you? Okay, now I don't need to look just at the screen today. Oh, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. So if you see me not looking at the screen, it's because I'm looking at someone else. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. That's, that's a cop out, actually. They always remind me, look at the screen. Now look at the camera and not at the screen this morning. Hey, by the way, you know, uh, there are a lot of men that this month, they're going to be... They're, they're going to attempt to grow a mustache because it's supposedly Movember, Mo, Mo, uh, right? Movember. But you know what? A couple of days ago, and I put that on our closed church Facebook page, and I just felt the Lord say, hey, it's not M-O-E like Larry uh, Curly and Mo or whatever, you know, the Three Stooges. It's not a month for the Three Stooges this month, or it's not for you just to grow a mustache, but it is M-O-R-E, meaning it's Movember, to expect more from the Lord, to expect a whole lot more from the Lord. Um, I need someone, one of you guys who are here to just turn to Ephesians chapter 3.20, the Passion Version. And if you can pass that to me, that would be wonderful. And, and if you could actually really read that, that, that would be great. I'll, I'll read you a version that I'm uh, familiar with. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can think or even ask for, according to the power that is at work within, within us. There is a particular power that is at work within us. Amen. And the Passion Version puts it this way. Um, Then you will be empowered to discover what every holy one experiences the great magnitude of the astonishing love of Christ. And as we go on to verse 20, it says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. I want to read that again. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. And listen to this. Your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination. Amen. And exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. His miraculous power constantly energizes you. Folks, we've got a video that we want to to show you um, right about right about now when the team's ready to show that. We want to show you this video. This is one of the two videos of our fast and prayer. And we really believe this is a this is a divine time for us as churches to come together. There is a call of, of the leaders within the churches here to call. We are gatekeepers in the city from a spiritual standpoint. And so the Lord has really moved upon our hearts to call for this time because we want to see infinitely more. We want to see a Movember this year, this, this month. Not just a November, but a Movember. And in order to have a Movember, we need to be prepared. We need to come and stand together. 
together because one puts a thousand to flight, but two, ten, ten thousand. So imagine as we all come together, we will experience a Movember. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Wow. It's so nice to get some amens. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Oh, gosh. I, I, man. You know what? I don't know whether I'll continue to preach. I'll just want to... I, I need this for... From March, I haven't had this. You know, come on, come on. Some more. Amen. Yeah! That's it. Oh, 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 oh. There is more than whom you think there are here. In the spirit. In the physical, we are only 10. But in the spirit, we are 10,000. Hallelujah. We are Movember. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, man, this is so fun. It's so fun to have a live band. It's so fun to throw in a song that we never rehearsed. Hallelujah. Praise God. <laughs> you could have seen it in some of their faces. <laughs> Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, when I was, uh, when I was young, when I, when I first learned to play the guitar, I really had a, a real, a real deep, desire, deep desire to. And uh, there, was a, there was a guy who was part of a band called the Revolvers in Malaysia. And he used to work at our school. He was the uh, lab technician. And I used to go to him and ask him, hey, give me some tips. You know, show me a couple of things. You know, how do you, what do you do? How do you do? How do you play? How do you play all these chords and different things like that? And each time I had, each time I was given a particular um, uh, tip, I would take that back and I would just practice. And that's how I pretty much learned how to, how to play the guitar. And, um, and, you know, I was just thinking about the, the disciples. The, dis the disciples, they, they walked and they talked to Jesus and they lived with him. And imagine if they really had the opportunity to, and they did, in fact, actually, they did have the opportunity to ask Jesus. So, so you know, what do you think they would have asked? Do you think they would have asked Jesus, hey, Jesus, can you, can you show me how to heal the sick? Uh, maybe Jesus, actually, can you, can you show me how to... Uh, walk on the water or how can I how do I catch a net full of fish or how do I go to a fish and you know uh, you know catch that fish and find in the fish some money so that I could pay my you know pay for all my expenses pay my taxes and so on and so forth how do I do that on a regular basis right or maybe <laughs> maybe the disciples would have said um, how do I turn water into wine can you imagine this now, if this glass, cup of water here, this glass, if I can turn this into wine, folks, this will become white wine, and this will become a pub or a place of hospitality. Then instead of just having 10, we could have 20. Yeah. Amen? So all I need to is, hey, water, you turn into wine, and, and, and we can bring 20 people in here. That's the sort of disparity that we find in this day and age. That we as churches have been dished this out too. You know, we all feel that it is not fair in every sense of the word. Right? But we still comply. We still have 10 here. We still are COVID safe. We still do all of that. Right? But I was just thinking, man, only if I could turn this into wine, crack a couple of jokes, and then this becomes a pub. 
or this becomes a place, this becomes a hospitality. I mean, that's, that's, what some, that's how some of us, uh, you, you know, we, we laugh about it. It's, it's kind of tongue in cheek. But with all due respect, that's how silly we find some of the things that have been put to us. And we still have to cop it. That's why we need, we need something that is far greater. We need the Lord to intervene. We need to come together as churches and begin to pray that the Lord would move upon the hearts of those who sit and manufacture these guidelines, that they would begin to see what really makes sense and how the churches can, can be part, in fact, not can, how churches are part of, of uh, helping those who are going through mental health. How churches can come alongside, because the word of the Lord says, be anxious, meaning don't have anxiety above anything, but in prayer and in supplication, commit your request to the Lord. So when we come together, what do you think we do? We come together and we encourage one another so that the person doesn't leave with anxiety, so that the person doesn't leave with depression, so the person leaves with hope. Amen? And that's what the disciples had, that opportunity as they hung out with Jesus. They hung out. Thankfully, he didn't just have to subscribe to just 10. He had 12 and more, 70, 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 that he could begin to minister to. Now, of all the things that the disciples asked Jesus, it was just one thing that, they, that, that he asked, that they asked. And they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And that was the burning question that they wanted that, that was within their hearts. They wanted to gain some insight into prayer as much, you know, as a much needed skill for them. Above all the things that they could ask, they asked, Lord, teach us how to pray. Now, why did they ask him this question? And I think this is my, the, the, uh, I want to present my, I suppose, my, my, my supposition here in a sense, why I think it's largely because of, I feel they, they saw something, they saw a link between his time of prayer and the power in which he moved in. There was something that was, there was a direct link that they began to see, that there was power in his teaching, that there was power, that, that he had amazing character. There was something that linked him back to his time of prayer. And every, after every significant miracle, he would pull away and he would spend time in prayer, being physically drained in ministering. The first thing that he did was he pulled aside and he went on his own. He began to pray. They saw the intimacy that Jesus had with the Father and made that connection between prayer and his power. So the logical thing was, Lord, in that, in that case, teach us, Lord. Teach us how to pray. But before that, he gave them some really important advice that they needed to adhere to. So again, I'm going to do this as a, as a part one, part two, part two message. And some introductory remarks were this, that when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners 
And in some synagogues where everyone can see them, I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to the Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. Now, in verse 7, it says, this is in chapter 6. Verse 7, it says this, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think that their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. And uh, this is the J.B. Phillips version. You might see that on your screen. Right, the J.B. Phillips version. After then, when you pray, don't be like the play actors. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners so that people may see them at it. Believe me, they have had all the reward they are going to get. But when you pray, go into your own room, shut your door, and pray to your heaven, pray to your father privately. Your father who sees all things will reward you. And when you pray, don't rattle off long prayers like the pagans who think they will be heard because they use so many words. Don't be like them after all. God, who is your father, knows your needs before you ask. Amen. He knows your needs before you even ask now. So he started off by saying, this is how not to pray. So Jesus condemned hypocrisy. Right? Now, the word hypocrisy, now, you find that in, J, in the J.B. Phillips version, it says, don't be like play actors. So the word hypocrisy was drawn from the culture of that day. The, the, the hypocrite was one who was engaged in theater or drama. What he was doing was not real. So the original term had nothing to do with insincerity, actually. But Jesus applied that word to people who were going through the motions of prayer, making a great external show of piety, but who, who, whose real state did not really match the outward show. So their piety was a sham, really. You know, hence why some weeks ago we taught on the Beatitudes, blessed are those who mourn, meaning those who really experience the, uh, the, the ex experience a sense of wanting to repent before the Lord. You know, they're gripped with repentance, not this, this, this show that they put on, you know, kind of, a, kind of a facade that they put on, right? And so he was speaking, particularly again, addressing this sort of fake godliness. And that, that was mastered really well by the Pharisees. Now, prayer for them was a business to the Pharisees. It was a business because something that was expected from people in that line of business or people in that position, so they made a public display of piety. Imagine that. that was, they were, it, was, it was as if they were paid 
You know, in, in particular cultures, you find that people, they've got what they call paid mourners. So when someone passes away, they invite these individuals who can just cry at the drop of a hat, and they begin to cry, and they pay them for such a thing because they feel it's, it's, it's an important thing. And we know that where we are people of hope, so as much as we do, as we do grief, we do celebrate the fact that now they've changed their address to an amazing place. Amen? Amen. And that's, and that's our hope. Right? So truth be told, hypocrisy has had a devastating impact in the life of the church, sadly. Right? And on the representation of Christianity to a dying, to a dying world, really. So here the Lord wants us to not parade our piety. Before, prior to him teaching them about prayer, he begins to share these things. You know, don't be, don't show off, don't, don't be individuals that, you know, the, the, the holier and, and thou kind of a club. You know, don't be that. You know, be, be mind, mindful of this attitude because the Lord calls us to be a witness, right? Jesus tells his disciples this, go into the closet, Shut the door and get your face before God. And the Father who hears you in secret will reward you in public. How's our secret prayer life like? How's our secret place? You know, how's our secret place? Do we have more of a corporate sense of prayer where everyone is praying? Is that what we live for? Or do we have this the secret place that I come to? You know, I, I, just, I just come before you, Lord. I come before you. I come before you. You know, he's, he's, interest, he's interested really in godliness, not in becoming the great showman, right? Not in showmanship. Prayer is one of those, you know, one of the key aspects of our spirituality. You know, sometimes when we pray, there is something that grabs a hold of us and we pray with, with a measure of ferocity and passion and all of that. But sometimes, you know, I, I find this within the context of even in ministry, I find some people, they, they watch others and how they pray and they mimic them. God hasn't called us to mimic others. He wants us. He wants the natural me. He wants the natural Kevin. He wants the natural Simon, the natural Shami or Olivia or Karen or Sam or Ryan. He wants the natural that. He wants that. He wants us to be gripped by this, by the sense of godliness and, and spirituality and the anointing that will come over you as you, as you continue to come to a place and carve out a place of your, of, of, of this personal life. This personal prayer life. And that's what they saw in Jesus. So they saw a prime example. And that's what above all, above the, uh, above the feeding of the 5,000 uh, 5, men, it says, right? Above the healing of the leper, above spitting it on, you know, into the mud, creating, a, creating some clay, putting it in the eyes of the person and healing the person. Above all of that, above casting out demons, they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. And the second thing he condemns is this. And that when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Jesus here is advocating us to not look at prayer as some magical incantation. Amen. That was what I was looking for. Magical incantation. Now you see that on your screen. Hallelujah. 
That is, don't recite certain phrases over and over again with no understanding of what the words mean. He linked this to paganism. Hallelujah. He linked this to paganism. It is so easy for us to engage in this form of prayer and be repetitious without engaging our minds. He did not give us the Lord's Prayer for it to be used as a mindless, repetitious tool. Where we just pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread. You know, forgive us our sins, thy kingdom come, blah, 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 blah. And, and you just go, and then you say that, you say, you know, several different our fathers, and you go on and you continue and you continue and continue to say that. He didn't give that to us for us to be repeating it like that. You know, now in, in music, it is one of the key things that, that and, and, and possibly any form of art or anything you know that you want to learn uh, repeating repeated practice is is important you know we are told to repeat your scales right hallelujah repeat playing your scales amen, amen. and those who do benefit from that hard work Right? So the benefit of praying the Lord's Prayer over and over again until, and hear this, again and until, because otherwise you may think that I am contradicting what I've just said. No, to pray again and again until it becomes part of your fabric, part of you know, our thinking. That is why it is said that when you play an instrument, play as if it is an extension of yourself without you needing to think. When I see Simon up there just playing, his eyes are closed, and it's just an extension of what he does. Amen? Amen? And, and, and it's because he's, he's already got his rudiments down. And so likewise, the word of the Lord says, memorize scripture. So memorize the Lord's Prayer, if that is the case. Memorize until it is part of your soul because the rewards of that is great. But it cannot be, again, a mindless exercise. It cannot be a mindless exercise. It has to be engaging. So did he give us a form to pray or did he give us a recipe? It can be both. And I think that's important to know. Because in this prayer, it covers an amazing thing. And there are two things that I'm going to, I'm, I want to share with us today before I end. It is this. The first is our Father. We have a tendency to take this title uh, of, you know, for God or of God for granted. It is so familiar to us, so common to our life and to our worship that we rarely give any thought to it. You know, I think that we fail to really grasp what a radical thing it is to refer to God in this way. Our Father. Our Father. You know, the German theologian, Joachim Jeremiah, a New Testament scholar, did a study in which he searched the Old Testament writings and, and the existence, uh, rabbinic writings as well. So he searched all of that, right? He could not, and he, this, he could not find a single example ever of a Jewish writer or author addressing God directly as father in prayer until the 10th century AD. 
You know, the Old Testament spoke about the nation of Israel as God's son. In Matthew's gospel, shortly after Jesus' birth in, Beth- in Bethlehem, an angel warned Joseph to take Mary and the baby to Egypt to escape the wrath of Herod. Right? Now, Matthew specifically notes that this event occurred as a fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. And this is the Old Testament prophecy. Out of Egypt I called my son. In Matthew chapter 2 verse 15 and Hosea chapter 11 verse 1. In its original context, this statement actually referred to the Exodus. When Israel was delivered from its bondage in Egypt. On the night the Israelites were released from their captivity, God passed over the land, bringing the worst plague of all against Pharaoh and the Egyptians. The firstborn son in in every Egyptian household died, including the household of Pharaoh. But God preserved his son Israel. So there was a sense in which the Israelites were understood to be the sons of God which placed God in a fatherly role. But they never referred to him as father. The Israelites never addressed God as father. But hear this, in every prayer of Jesus recorded in the New Testament except one, he addresses God as father. Jeremiah says, Jeremiah says that, This is a theologian, not the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah says that the significance of this is that Jesus, who was a Jew and a rabbi, was making a departure from tradition. It wasn't just a little departure, folks. It was a radical departure in which it aroused profound hostility from from the Pharisees. When Jesus referred to God as his father, the Pharisees, for example, would become enraged with that. They understood that in calling God his father, he was making himself equal with God, as we see in John chapter 5, verse 18. By addressing God in this familiar form, Jesus was indicating a profound sense of intimacy between himself and God. Showing that he was the unique son of God. Now one of the most important doctrines in the New Testament is really the doctrine of adoption. Which gives expression to our redemption. By nature, we are children of wrath. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says that. But through redemption, we are adopted into his family. Amen. Jesus, the only begotten son, has the inherent right to then refer to God as Abba Father. And that's in Matthew, uh, sorry, in Mark 14 verse 36. But when he gave the disciples... This model of prayer, he is saying and inviting them now into this personal relationship. That you now have this inheritance because you are my brothers, you are my sisters. This is an intensely familiar filial relationship. This is what he's calling us into. So the Our Father 
has such potency in it. And this slide that's about to come up right now gives you this verse. And because in Galatians, and because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba, I belong to you. We know that song, amen. Abba, I belong to you. Each time we pray, Abba, Father, or use the term Father, we need to remind ourselves that we have been grafted into Christ and have been placed in, in, in intimate relationship with God. We have been placed. We have been grafted. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to work for intimacy, folks. We are there. He has already, you know, a couple of weeks ago in one of our prayer meetings, you know, I, it's, it's so exciting. I just, I just heard the, the, the word of the Lord say, beyond the veil. Beyond the veil. I don't know whether it was during our fire starter or it was during one of our night, meet, night prayer meetings. But beyond the veil. Because, it's, because there was a veil that was, that was between us. But when Jesus came, he, that veil was torn from top to bottom. And so we go beyond that into an intimate place. He is for, in, for all intents and purpose. You know... different from our earthly fathers where many of us you know we come unstuck with that because we can't see him as a good good father because we are reminded of our earthly fathers you know but the term here is this it's not his father it's not my father it's our father so our father is not my father it's this heavenly father. And you know what else does our father remind us of? It reminds us of unity. Which we're about to experience in a powerful and profound way between one to five as churches come together and as the people of God come together. It's our father. So what it means is this. That we are united. I am not in isolation. I'm not bound by just five kilometers or 25 kilometers. I've got people outside of that that are part that are part of this amazing family. I've got people outside of this nation that are part of this amazing family. That is why I can call them and I can say, please pray, please let's come together, please. Because we have a father, it is our father. It's our Father. Hallelujah. So each time we pray our Father or use the term Father, we need to remind ourselves that we have been grafted into Christ and have been placed in this, in this amazing intimate relationship with God. Hallelujah. Amen. And my last point here is this, hallowed be thy name. Yes. Have you had the opportunity, friends, if you had the opportunity to rewrite the Constitution, if I could rewrite the Victorian Constitution, yes. pass different bills, if I had the opportunity to do that, and I summon God to act on behalf of not, of not just we as believers, but everyone, that justice and mercy be experienced. Amen. But if I had to write the Constitution, that included in its top 10 laws a mandate protecting 
the use of the name of God. When God gave such a document, how would it be? When God gave such a document that constituted his people as a nation and created the foundation for a godly society, he included in his top ten commandments a law that regulated the use in, of his name. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In Exodus chapter 20 verse 7. The inclusion of this commandment in God's Old Testament law shows beyond a doubt that he places a very high premium on the, most, on, on the importance of his people recognizing his name as holy and treating it that way. We see that same premium in the prayer that Jesus now gave his disciples because the prayer we know as the Lord's Prayer says this. This is the model he says. Our Father, who art in heaven, what? Hallowed be your name. Now we have a tendency to read these words and to conclude that they are part of the way we address him. Hallowed be your name. That is, we believe we are saying, Our Father in heaven, your name is holy. That's, that's what we believe. But it's more than that. Now, that's not the format of the prayer. The line of the Lord's prayer is not simply saying that God's name is holy. Rather, it's petition. It's a petition. Now everyone knows, and we know full well, we live in a day and time, in a season now, where we've had to sign petitions after petitions after petitions. So we know, everyone knows what a petition is. It's a piece of paper that people pass around for others to sign in the hopes that this written evidence of agreement on an issue will induce the government or the ruling body of some association to change the rules of the game. Amen. So a petition then is a request. For this reason, those specific requests Jesus gave his disciples in the Lord's Prayer are known as the petitions. There are the priorities that Jesus indicated his disciples should ask for in their prayers. And the very first thing that Jesus told them to pray for was that the name of God would be regarded as holy. So in our petition, so friends, now consider that. We may sign a petition, but take this to God and imagine the petition that is signed in his blood that he will do for you and I. He will act on our behalf. So the primary way in which God differs from all creatures is that he is uncreated and eternal. Whereas each of us is created and finite. We are not eternal, but temporal. If nothing else, that separates the creator from the creature. It is that high transcendent element of God's own being. So marvelous, so majestic, so awesome, so powerful. That we must see this if we are to understand what Jesus is teaching us about prayer. Jesus is not saying, Father, your name is holy, but Father, your name is hallowed. 
that is he is teaching us to ask God ask that God's name would be regard, regarded as sacred that it would be treated with reverence and that it would be seen as holy we must see this if we are to pray according to the pattern Jesus sets has set for us now by placing this as the first petition of the Lord's prayer Jesus was giving it a place of priority so the Lord's prayer our petition is to bring this and to create this as a priority he was saying that a proper attitude towards God's name is the basis of everything because how we live before God is determined by our attitude toward toward him and our view of who he is you know no worship no adoration no obedience can flow from a heart that has no regard for the name of God you know what there is what I call a psychological truism here. How is it possible for someone to have a high regard for God, an authentic reverence for God, a genuine fear of God, and at the same time, a frivolous attitude towards the use of the name of God? Jesus says here that the way in which we regard the name of God reveals the state of our hearts with respect to our attitude toward God himself. A lack of regard for his name reveals more clearly than anything else a lack of regard for him. So when Jesus says we should pray that, the, that God's name be regarded as holy, he is saying that we should regard him as, as holy and that such a posture of reverence, awe and respect for God should define everything in our lives before God's kingdom can come to earth. So for the rest of the prayer, for that to happen before God's kingdom can come to earth the way it has already come to heaven and before his will can be done on earth the way it is done right now in heaven, the name of God has to be hallowed. The name of God needs to be held in reverence. I'd like to invite the team to come up. You know, in conclusion... His kingdom come. His kingdom come, which we will touch next week. And his kingdom, kingdom praying has a pivotal place in the affairs of this world. Jesus' lesson on prayer, which we call the Lord's Prayer, not only issues a call to our worship and surrender before God's throne, he also issues an incredible directive and assignment that we accept a decisive role as intercessors. In short, our prayers ushering in your kingdom come is the action which refuses to surrender this present world 
to the ad, ad, adversary's devices and destruction. Hear this. When we say your kingdom come, we are saying we refuse Satan and his cohorts to bring about their destructive uh, um, assignments. So when we see all of what's going on, all of the injustices that are going on, we need to pray, Lord, let your kingdom come so that those injustices will not take root and will not take place in our lives. Right? It's not shaming the people that we are saying needs to happen. It is praying, Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your kingdom come. You know, it is disappointing and it is shocking to see what is written out there. Even by many of us who profess to love the Lord and to say that we love Him. The Lord has never called us to shame people. And sometimes if we do, and sometimes even if I do, man, I, I repent of that. And we've got from one to five today to come as a people and, and to repent sometimes of our ways. For God to help us return that he may restore and rebuild that which he wants to rebuild in our midst, church. And the last one you're going to see on your screen. I love this, that Jack Hayford puts it, puts it this way. Jesus' assignment is that we pray. The next slide. Jesus' assignment is that we, we pray. Father, your kingdom come on earth. If it is not there, that's okay. It is our Savior's way of saying, just as you have welcomed the Father's rule in your hearts, now extend that kingdom rule in prayer. Point to earth's needy places and invite heaven's forces to break hell's strongholds and bring hearts, homes, and nations into his freedom. Isn't that amazing? Why don't you repeat? Why don't you read that with me, guys, up on stage? Can we have that up? Can you put that up again, please? Jesus' assignment is the way we pray. Father, your kingdom come on earth. It is our Savior's way of saying, just as you have welcomed the Father's rule in your hearts, now extend that kingdom rule in prayer. Point to earth's needy places and invite heaven's forces to break hell's strongholds and bring hearts, homes, and nations into a place of freedom. And we are about to partake of communion right now. Amen. And communion is a strong reminder to us of this new covenant. It is a reminder to us that says, let your will be done. And let your kingdom come. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, this is made possible. So he sits down with his disciples. He takes the bread. He breaks it and says, this is my body. It's broken for you. I bear your sins. I bear the curse that you are to bear. I bear that. And so as you consider what he took on your behalf, so that you might be able to bring your petition before him. So that you might be able to pray this prayer, Our Father. In the same manner 
as Jesus was able to pray as his son, that we now have been adopted. So what we're doing right now is we're rec recognizing that doctrine of adoption. We're remembering. Jesus, I thank you for your body that bore my sin, bore my curse, and for you to become my sacrifice. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. On that very night, as he sat with his disciples, he took up. That cup, that was symbolic to the blood that he was about to shed. And he takes cup, he gives thanks, and he says, thank you. And he encourages them now, as you partake of this cup, and as you do this in remembrance of me, you are then invoking the fact that I will be coming back again. You are reminding yourself and you are proclaiming that I will come back again. So as we partake of communion, friends, it's not just, you know, this, the sense that we are going through the motions. No, we're coming to the table of covenant, the table where we, re, where we are reminded this is the covenant of grace. So let's partake of this cup together that gives us life that reminds us that his blood was shed, that all of his life that he shed has now come into us, that we now have the blood of Emmanuel flowing through our veins. Amen. How amazing this is, isn't it? We want to take some time and begin to respond to the Lord. When we say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's think of his name today. Because in his name, demons will flee. In, in his name, strongholds are broken. In his name, Guess what else happens in his name? You and I are set free. In his name, our prayers will be answered because he says that, and when you pray, pray in my name. Pray in the name of Jesus. There is something extremely awesome and powerful that begins to happen. When we begin to recognize and understand that in his name, wow, In his name, we enter into a contractual agreement. We are grafted into him. So right now, as you sing this song, receive everything that is yours. Remember, this is Movember. More and more and more Amen. is being released to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.